My name is Caroline Jean Miller. Welcome to Bruceology. The future is women, female. There's a dollar. <laughs> There's a dollar. <laughs> there we go. When in doubt, bright boo out. <laughs> we are outside again on a lovely mile high evening. It's gorgeous, even though it was hot today. We're having 90 degree weather. I don't know where you are. I know right now, Northeast Coast is getting some hurricane weather. I hope you guys are doing okay, hunkering down there, getting your good snacks and your water in. And we are back for episode 98. This is episode 98. We're almost there. Oh once, my goodness. I feel like once we hit 100, we're legit. Wow. And if people are still listening to us after 98 episodes... <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, one, I'm just shocked. But but two, thank you. We appreciate your support and your listenership. Is that a thing? Listenership? Yes. Yes. With the audiological goodness of theology awesomeness. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So tonight's topic is something that's very dear to our hearts. It's personal because we had our first... Our first local, local guest speaker. When I say local, local, it was Janelle Apps Ramsey, which y'all all know. Hello. Co-host, co-director, and she's working on a book project called Women Experiencing Faith and Hearing Women's Voices. And is that the final title to the book? Yep. Women, Women Experiencing Faith is the final title of the book and is the website. Cool. And yeah, it went to the formatter this week. And we'll get to that tonight. And the, any announcements before we get going? We do have an event coming up. We do. It's it's kind of a biggish one. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's probably going to be too big, and then we're going to have to get a different venue. I think we're getting there, yeah, for sure. I I'm, think it's kind of a big deal. I'm a little scared because nah, of the speaker lineup. and knowing awesome. knowing I've got we got a couple more people this week signed up. Yep. So if you don't know what this is, this is the Open and Relational Theology Extravaganza which is the pregame, unofficial pregame, to AAR, American Academy of Religion. But I want to say it's unofficial official because we're actually getting theologians from American Academy of Religion to a local brewery, which a lot of theologians don't do. I mean, when we have theologians at the pub at Niver, I'm like, hey, you know, have you done this before? Nope. They seem surprised. They've never spoken at pubs. So we're bringing it to the people. There we go. So we have Jason Whitehead, Andrew Schwartz, uh, we've got Elaine Padilla. So I haven't looked at the list in a while. Tom Ord. Yep. Um, Our own local process guru, Stephen Kokener. Yep. And then we've got a few more that we're finishing up, making sure they're coming. Yeah. So there may be a Catherine Keller in the works. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That would be big. So come on. That's oh, but the date by the way, Friday, November sixteenth. It's going to be at six. Is it six p.m.? Are we doing seven p.m.? I'm actually not sure. I think it. Look it up. Just go to <laughs> go to meetup.com backslash get, get Denver Brew Theology. I was going to say, get there at five, grab a beer. There you go. Get an open spot. If it starts at seven. Well, get some food too. Get some food. And the Hang food out. is awesome there. I think you're going to need some food with three plus hours of people talking to you. Yep. And then plus, you're plus, drinking. If plus you're, if it's you drink. not very good to drink on an empty stomach. <laughs> this is true. That happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I went to a ball game, and I'm just going to say that I shouldn't really speak of this online, but then I you am. probably shouldn't. <laughs> but I knew. Uh, I was like, I was going to cut my calories that day, because I knew I was going to drink my calories that night. Always a bad decision when you go to a baseball game with an Irishman who can drink his weight, and then some. So yeah. Plus, you're out in the sun as well. Note yeah. to self, if you go to a ball game, make sure you have dinner beforehand. Yes. Yeah. And, and don't drink venue? and drive. 
It is at Blue Moon Brewery in Rhino. Perfect. So it is an amazing space. You will love being there. Yeah, so everybody from Process Theologians, Open Theism, everything in between, and then we can parse out. It's funny when people have to parse out like how they're not a Process Theologian or how they're not an Open Theist. Because <laughs> some, sometimes you're like, eh, I think you're all the same. But there, there are distinctions and particulars and how people, not only with, like, within that, they have their specialties of why they became that and what's unique to them. Right. All right, so brewtheology.org, there's the website. We're on social media, Brew Theology, Facebook and Instagram, Brew underscore Theology. I think we should actually talk to Harrisburg if you're listening, because I saw that you guys have Brew Theology without the underscore, and I was shocked because somebody had it before he got it, before Mark. I'm I'm talking to you, Mark. I don't know how you got it. We might have to swap if you could do that. (laughs) That underscore drives me crazy. I'm a little OCD. Just a smidge. Once in a while. (laughs) So we have four people tonight. We do. So should we do intros quick? Yeah, this will be good. Everyone's pointing at me, so I guess I get the go first. So hi, everyone. Um, I'm Christina. Uh, I grew up in a heavily Baptist conservative household. Um, my grandfather is an independent fundamental Baptist preacher down in Florida. Um, that continued on with my education going to a um, school that was part of a Baptist church. Uh, now I'm more of a non-denominational slash monotheist pluralist. Um, basically, everyone sees a different side of you, um, whether it's your family, your friends, your relatives, your dog, your significant other, your coworkers. So why can't God be the same way? You know, since he reveals himself differently to everyone, you know, why can't he be the same God? Just, you know, Jewish people see him one way. Christians see him one way. Um, Buddhists see him another, and so on and so forth. Hi, I'm, my name is Kelly. I was born Catholic, and then when I was still young, around 14, my mother left the Catholic Church um, at, with a feminist awakening. And she explored New Age and metaphysical uh, teachings, learned how to meditate, taught me how to meditate, exposed me to a lot of uh, different types of readings by Ram Dass and Dr. Wayne Dreyer, and or Dyer, I'm not sure, um, and uh, Deepak Chopra. I mean, th- teachings of that of those natures, and that's been my prevalent um, persuasion through most of my adult life. And but joining Brew Theology, I've learned a lot. I mean, in Buddhism was one of the ones that I, I gravitate to as well. Um, and so now I would say, I don't know what I am. I'm plural. I'm a pluralist, maybe, and I think I'm still New Age Ubi Groovy. <laughs> hippie chick from California. <laughs> uh, I'm Janelle. Can we say hippie chick? Is that is that PC? I think that's okay. Can, I, can a guy say that? Um, I don't know. I think I'll, I'll ask. I'm going to ask these questions later. By the way, about All right. what you can and can't say. Uh-oh. I'm the only guy here. You'll be okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure. And Dan's not going to edit a thing out because he wants me to sound like a dumbass. No, he does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Dan. I love you, Dan. <laughs> love you, Dan. Dan is our editor. editor. Dan is awesome. Um, I'm Janelle. I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene and moved here about six years ago. And uh, if I carry a label, it's usually progressive Christian, though I've been toying around with the idea of something like redemptive feminist um, that carries with it the the nature of Christianity, but also emphasizing what we're going to talk about tonight in being feminist and being 
um, aware of women's voices and what they're doing in the world and how they experience God. Um, so that's about it. I am the co-editor of the Women Experiencing Faith book with Tom Ord, and you can find us online at womenxfaith.com, where you can... Um, is that E-X or X? It is X. Make a little shorter because experiencing would be miserable to type out. So, made it simple. All right, thanks. I don't need to do my intro. Okay, fine. I think, I think unless you're a first-time listener, which you're probably not, and then they're going to wonder, so then maybe if you're a first-time listener, maybe just email me. Yeah, there we let go. us know. And I'll have a conversation with you. You might get a free koozie. Ooh, a red one. A red one, Denver only. Denver only. Okay, so how did this project start? Where were you? When did you and Tom say, this should be a, a thing that we need to do? Okay. Who approached whom? So, um... I was, uh, I, I have submitted several essays into Tom's books. Uh, one is on kind of a vision of what holiness doctrine can look like in the era that we're in. And then I've also participated in one on social media and how theologians and philosophers use that. And so he had sent around kind of this thank you note to everybody that's been in all of his books and I just sent back an email and said, well, have you thought of doing one on women? And he asked, you know, what do you mean? What do you have in mind? And that actually, um, the formulation of that goes back to our Denver beer camp that we had last fall, where I met a wonderful woman named Jen Fulmer. And we kind of had this conversation. We both had been kind of sensing the lack of female voices out on the podcast sphere. Um, that there were a lot of men's voices, there was a lot of religious voices, but there weren't a lot of women religious voices. And so we just kind of tossed that idea around for the whole weekend and kind of talked about what would it look like if we started something like this, you know, what would it mean and how would we form it and what would it be about? And so with that conversation kind of resonating, I sent Tom... Um, an idea that came out of that about wanting to know how women's gender has impacted or informed their faith journey. And he offered to co-edit a book. So it was a huge surprise and I will be forever grateful for him for that opportunity. Um, this wouldn't have happened without him. And I just appreciate so much his faith and encouragement in me to do this with him. And if you're not familiar with Thomas J. Ord, he wrote the book Uncontrolling Love of God, which came out a couple of years ago. Fascinating book. I mean, he's written yeah. a lot of things and he's on, you can follow him on Facebook. He does live videos as well. Yep. But that's pretty sweet. And he's also an, is he an ex-Nazarene or is he a Nazarene? I, I don't know his official status okay. right now. I don't but, want to throw him under the bus right now. But he, he <laughs> has been a professor at Northwest Nazarene University and so I believe that he is currently looking for work. So if you have any leads at all for an awesome, amazing theologian, He's please great. let us know and we'll get you connected with Tom. Yeah. So 50 essays yep. from 50 women across the spectrum, pastors, laity, ex-pastors, some now no longer churched, right. some still within the system. Some professors. Okay. And so we're not going to be able to talk about all 50, but no. if you could give us a synopsis of... Uh, some of the some of, uh, so we heard some of this at the pub last week, but for those out there who are like, who are these women? Where did they come from? And some of them are anonymous. I get that. Right. But can you just give us a brief synopsis of the women that 
are in this book? Yeah. So we have quite a few stories of women that um, have been born and raised in the church, but are no longer in the church or no longer practicing in the same way. So um, many of them experienced a lot, especially in their stories about purity, culture, and modesty. And that that was one of the drivers that kind of pushed them out of the church was that experience. Uh, We have a lot of women that are still in the church um, that are um, still functioning in the systems that they have been in their whole lives. And they recognize sometimes the struggle in that, but they've been able to stay and be part of the voice that works towards change where they are. I've got several voices that are wrestling currently, and I think I'm in that crowd as well, where uh, we've been in a certain uh, maybe sect or denomination. We don't really fit there anymore. We haven't really found a home yet. We love Jesus, but we're not sure what to do with the church because sometimes the church doesn't behave real well. Um, We have... I. I should have uh, counted all the numbers. I'm sorry I didn't, but I've got more than a handful of professors and doctors that are part of this group that are teaching theology and wrestling with these issues in the classroom and in their jobs. I have a lot of pastors that are doing ministry on the front lines and engaging the world with the the message of Christ and their form and version and understanding of what it means to be woman in that context. Uh, we have a lot of lay people that have added material as well. So I feel like we did this amazing job when we we tried really hard to send a, a variety of invites across the spectrum. And I feel like we got a really good um, spread of different voices uh, responding to this. Yeah, personally, I found that encouraging and, and also more more real because a lot of times these books are written by those in the ivory tower, right? Theologians and professors, which is good. It's it's helpful for sure because that's where a lot of us got our training from. But then there's such a disconnect often between the seminary world, the church world, and then the real world. And I think yeah. there are three different worlds. And the fact that you got voices from all all three, I think it's going to touch a lot of people in different ways. So can we hear some of those voices? Is that cool? We can, yeah. So what I did is I've um. We read about 13 excerpts while we were in the room um, on Thursday. And so I've asked the people that are here with us, Christina and Kelly, to pick out some of their favorites for you. And then I'll pick out a couple. Maybe Ryan can pick one. And we'll just share them with you. And then um, we can come back and talk about them after that as well. Um, So, ladies, would you like to read or would you like me to read? What are you comfortable with? I'll start. Okay, go ahead. So I'm going to read an essay by Sarah. And Sarah says, to to deny women a voice is to deny them love. To say you can't speak is to say you don't matter, or maybe you don't matter as much as I do. And to say that a loving God would deny women, all women, everywhere, no matter what, the chance to speak, to preach, to teach, to share themselves publicly, is to say that God isn't as loving as he could be. I haven't made sense of it all yet. I still process on a daily basis. The things that I've been taught, the things that are ingrained so deeply inside of me, and the things I now believe to be true. I still wonder if I'm wrong. I still feel guilty and ashamed and like I'm getting too big for my britches. But I now know this. I can't believe in a God who doesn't want to hear what I have to say and who hasn't given me these things to say, not only for myself 
and for my family, but for whoever happens to hear them. I tried that, and I just can't do that anymore. Thank you. So I'm going to read um, uh, my essay from Christy. The layers are so deep, sometimes I can't even recognize the misogyny when it happens. I can't see the damaging marks on my own body. I've internalized the message, and I know it. But I fight, I fight, I fight, I fight. Because somehow I still have faith. Somehow I know deep in my bones that my body is beautiful just the way it is. My body is mine. I am powerful, authentic, and courageous. I can make my own choices and be my own person. Because I am a woman, I am dynamic and a compassionate leader. My gender, any gender, makes me great. My desires, thoughts, words, and actions matter. What I want is just as important as what men want. Women's body, my body, is literally filled with power. I hold creation potential and sustain life for months, sometimes years. I reflect the divine in all my feminine intensity and anatomy. I'm a beautiful embodiment of the divine on earth, loving, caring for others. I'm fighting a war to keep the faith. It is hard and difficult. I want to quit sometimes, often more days than not. But I will refuse to give up forever. This is a war worth fighting because I've got a little girl now and I'll be damned if she ever writes a chapter like this. And Christy is one of our experts. Uh, she is, has a doctor of ministry in domestic violence and trauma. And she does work helping people, especially women, come out of those situations. She also works to educate people on domestic violence, on trauma, on um, what the church has done, and walks with and trains people on how to do that work. So I was really honored that she accepted and was willing to be part of this process. Um, is there anything about those two that kind of, why did you pick those two and what did they mean to you? Well, for Sarah's essay, I'm de denying a voice and denying being able to express um, herself, ourselves. I think it does resonate with a longstanding culture, obviously through the millennium. Um, and it does speak to um, you know, you know the the bias that exists yeah. that's so prevalent in the world. I was going to say sexism, but it's racism. It's all kinds of isms, um, and it's something that you know. I would say, fortunately for me, you know, my mother having a feminist awakening when I was still very young. I mean, I was it was her strong belief, and I was taught to believe that uh, that if you think that God is a being that loves you know, boy babies more than girl babies, then that's bullshit. And <laughs> that is a man-made construct. Yeah. And that's why she had to leave the church. Yeah. Um, so uh, fortunately for me, I'm an outsider looking in for the people that are having these breakthroughs now. I mean, my mother, quite honestly, she saved me, uh, you know, because I was still young enough where I hadn't fully embraced, you know, many of those constructs. Um, but I think that even societally, that we talk about the richness that all, all of the inhabitants have to bring. You know, men, women, people of different cultures, yep. people of different skin colors. And so their voice and experience actually um, brings richness to everyone's lives, but we live in a fear-based society, and so we, we close ourselves off to that. Yeah. And there are a lot of essays in that 
vein that talk about um, this kind of disconnection that happened by being in the church. Um, and I think it's important that we hear those voices for what they are. Um, how about you, Christina? Why did you pick Christie's? So I think Christie's resonated with me because it's just very anti-church, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and why I get that is growing up in especially a Baptist um, religion, um, you know, we're taught men are the men are the head of the household. You know, you're supposed to be the nice submissive wife. Um, you keep the purity, you know, don't dress provocatively. Um, you, you're, you're not, the only time you can lead is when it's a Sunday school or it's a ladies, um, a ladies group, yeah. you know, women are to be seen and not heard. So you, you grow up in that very conservative construct or thinking, you know, that it's hard to break out of that, especially yeah. now, because you, yes, my body is beautiful. And yes, I will wear shorts, God damn it. And because it's hot and I don't want to wear a skirt, um, you know, I, I, I can lead people, you know, I can work outside of the home. Um, you know, it's some people want to have kids and some people don't. And, you know, we have to respect that. Yeah that way of thinking and I think it's just a a voice that's lost in this current church culture yeah may I add something Go to ahead. that yeah one of the things that I thought really nice about uh, Christy is that when she I mean she actually speaks from a very empowered position when she speaks about um Women's body, my body, my body is literally filled with power. I hold creation potential, sustain life for months, sometimes year, years. I reflect the divine in all my feminine intensity and anatomy. I'm a beautiful embodiment of the divine on earth, loving and caring for others. I think that's very powerful. Yeah, I, and and that it's for sure that it's. I think it's rich that she's been able to empower herself because to your point, there's a whole lot of shame in women's bodies in our yep. culture. I mean, unless you're a supermodel, but, um, and even then there's shame in some of the, um, the vanity that goes along right. with that. So I remember growing up with that kind of like shame all the time. Um, I remember one time when I was in Florida visiting my family, um, my grandparents, the same pastor and, um, down south, uh, he, my grandparents took us to a water park. And I remember waiting in line with my grandma on for a ride, and she would just basically bash the girls in line, you know, quietly saying, oh, she's wearing too much skin because she's in, she's in a bikini mm -hmm. or she needs to cover up. And I, I just remember that. And, like, I can't believe I stood up next to it, you know, but I didn't know any better because right. I was, you know, 12 or 13, you know, and I was just wanting to get on the water slide. You know, it's. Well, I think that that emphasizes a lot of my own journey. And I think the journey I hear in the voices of these women, we didn't know. Like we weren't given any other options because all the other options of how to interpret our bodies and clothing and all of that were filtered through the church. And so there wasn't this opportunity to say, wait a minute, why are our bodies treated this way, but not the bodies of men? 
you know, I mean, once in a while there's a speedo joke, but that's about as far as it goes and nobody tells them to change. Um, and so I think that, that that is something that resonates throughout the whole book is what, what is this stuff with my body and why is this all of your business? And what's your experience there? I have a working question about the purity, mostly modesty culture. As a father of two little girls, one is too young to even know she's a girl. Yeah. <laughs> the other one, though, almost six, very girly, so to speak. I'm using quotes right now. She is all into fashion and bling and dresses and sparkles and makeup. If we would let her, she would yeah. totally do it. Nails and all that jazz. And she wants to wear what she calls a bikini. That's what she calls it, a right. bikini. <laughs> I don't know why, but she thinks that they're awesome. And there's a part of me that's just like, oh, it's my little girl. No, you can't wear a bikini. A bukini. <laughs> you got to right. wear a, one, a onesie, you think, or whatever you call them. Oh. A one piece. A one, there it is. Not a onesie. Onesie is what you got to bed in. Well, at least I do. I don't know about you. <laughs> so then. TMI right there. There you go. Yeah. TMI. But, yeah. but I, am, I am curious. So because there is that purity culture within me, and as a dad, I'm, I know how other men are. And I know when, she's, she's like a little girl now, but she's going to get older and she's going to have a little cute figure and guys are going to check her out. So what, what do I do? And how do I address that with her? I'm just right. curious because I don't, I'm, I'm figuring this out one day at a time. I, I don't know. I, I agree. Right it's, here. it's an enormously tricky subject. I would say let loose on the bikini on a five-year-old. My parents let me wear bikinis and I came out okay. Um, I will also say being a stepmother um, with you know teenage girls and young girls is that you are concerned because the uh, societal media influences are way powerful and society is going to is does it, it tells young girls to it basically t grooms everybody how to be a sex object and so you have to be careful about be careful what you're selling out there at, at an age they're not even conscious of what they're selling yeah, she has no idea right but also i think you know you have to keep it like don't go too far one way, but also don't go too far the other way because I'm in the camp of like, if I'm in a bikini or in a tankini or some type of, you know, tight fitting clothing, I'm like, I, this isn't too tight. You know, this is too tight. I don't want to wear this. You know, it doesn't fit me right. And, and it looks perfectly fine. And my boyfriend was like, you look awesome. You know, keep the top, keep, you know, I like that outfit on you. But then again, I'm so right self antagonizing about you know what I look like and if I'm too modest or you know how stuff feels so I think you kind of have to play that ever so fine line to be day by day keep them grounded keep the media out as much well you, there's no way you keep it out but how do you measure that how do you weight it do the counterbalance and I think you just you talk to her as she grows about her body and what it means and how it's perceived. And you, you're probably going to have to, you know, get other input from other parents and what they're experiencing. I don't know. I, I, even I, as a non-parent, hear conversations about what do parents do about social media, about Snapchat, about Instagram. Like, but they're talking to each other and, and wrestling with these things. They're trying to figure it out. And I think the same applies here is what, what's appropriate. What, how, where are your lines? Where, what are you doing? Do you want your dad talking to you about that? Going back to your childhood, your dad's, I would assume, didn't say 
a thing. Never. And that's just in a million okay. years. But being married to the man, so I'm married to somebody who brought two te- two girls to my life, and we lived through the wild teenage years together. And it's amazing how much stuff gets lost in the laundry. It's just it's just crazy weird phenomena. Because even though it would be, they didn't want them to buy it, they'd get a gift card and they'd go buy it. And whoops, oh my God, it got like the little booty shorts that shows too much. You know, oh my God, I don't know what happened to them. They're gone. You know, this, so there's, there's techniques that you can do. Yeah. <laughs> would you want your dads to have said something back in the day? And if so, what would you have wanted them to say? Okay, so... Um, well, and I think my dad did have these conversations of sorts. We would never take anything way too personal, but it was very much about focus on your character and not your reputation. Yeah. Because your reputation is, you know, is your peers, is who's around you and, and your character sticks with you for life and you can be easily swayed because this particular group at the time, and that actually goes through adulthood, right? Worry about, you know, focus on your character and not your reputation. I don't know that we ever had those conversations. Um, I think, I mean, the weirdness for me is that so much of this was not my parents. It was the church. Like mm-hmm. my parents were not anywhere near as strict with me or as, as obsessed with my what I was wearing or anything else as the church was. And I got in way, like there was way more tension at church. And camp, you weren't allowed to, girls had to wear a t-shirt. We weren't allowed to, even in a one piece, we weren't allowed to just wear our swimsuit. You had to have a t-shirt. And so like. And boys did not. And boys did not. And so I think maybe part of it, at least in my generation, was the church took care of it. So like mom and dad, like don't have a lot to worry about. I was pretty type A and obedient. So I didn't really push those boundaries a whole lot. So I think it's. You know, in a in a different world, in a different setting, you know, it, it may just be part of it for you, I think, is the way that you have relationships with the women in your life. You have so many female friends and the moms in the neighborhood that you hang out with. I and, am the boyfriend. <laughs> and when but when you hang out with them and you treat them respectfully and you um, empower them to speak and lead and do things like your daughters are watching that and they're seeing that you're not favoring the men over the, the, over the women or the husbands over the wives, but you're approaching everybody equally. And I think that egalitarian um, presence is going to have a huge impact on them in the face of a culture that says, well, you have to do this, this, or this, whether that's what you wear or what role you take or what job you can do. When they see you confronting that and living differently in the face of that expectation, I would hope that that's going to have a huge influence on them. I would hope. As somebody also before kids who was a youth pastor, and I'm speaking to you youth pastors out there, and you know what this is like, we were pressured by the parents, and there's always going to be the core parents who say, oh, it's summertime, pool parties, what are you going to do, youth pastor? You're going to make the parents make sure their kids wear one pieces. And if not, right. you're going to have t-shirts like, like your church yep. did. And so we were, youth pastors were forced into it. We, we really didn't have a choice of our own because we would hear the girl, the girls would come to us and they would say, you know, Ryan, here's why I don't want to do that. And they would talk about just the normal aspects of like, it's really awkward. 
if you have to go to the bathroom to take the whole thing off. Right. As simple as that. And you're like, yeah, I I never would have thought of that because I'm a dude. But it makes sense. So your youth pastors are forced into that role who are also kind of perpetuating the same, this trend of the modesty culture. So what do they do? Because they don't want to get fired. Well, I think that's that's a really... They want to get fired over something else. <laughs> like it's, I mean, that's the the conflict that's happening right now in the larger culture is where where are you willing to toe the line and where do you not? And if standing up for women's bodies is one of those areas where you want to say no, I'm not going to do this, then it might cost you your job. And yeah, and so I'm curious. I'm curious, like if there's anybody out there who's listening who has been a youth pastor and this has been an issue and you were fired. For that, right. I would love to to hear. I mean, we'd love to have you on the podcast as well. Yeah, like the fact that you got fired for that, kind of awesome. Because I I I was I was a coward. I wasn't willing to get fired over that. I listened to the women in charge, right. and they were women in the church who were saying, "No, my daughters and all the daughters will not wear two pieces." But I know we, we this is we could talk about that forever. Yeah, I think I I think it's a complicated issue, and I'm not. You know, this pr- project is specifically about just hearing the voices and what and what you hear in those voices, a lot of those voices is the impact of these kinds of things. So I don't really have a lot of answers, um, but I think it's important that we hear the stories and to know that a lot of women are carrying around these kind of burdens, even as they're trying to parent their own teenager. The thing about this gentleman, this is something that you never dealt with growing up. It was not on your radar. You could wear whatever. And there may have been the one dude with the wiener bikiners, what I want to call it, the banana hammock, you know what I'm saying? And all the dudes made fun of you, so it was just the one guy. He's the only guy that had the issues, and that guy didn't care. Right. Because he was on the swim team. Well, it's lazy. It's cultural laziness, because why not a healthy respect for the human body? Why does it have to be male body and female body? And they're, they're, they're in the, differen- the differentiation lies. There's when the bias lies. But if we have a healthy respect for the human body and we teach our children to grow up for that, with that, it's, it's, yeah, it's laziness. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think I want to share Sparrow's story here. And it kind of um, gives voice to what the, how this all plays out in life. Um, she says, I am angry because I feel again the weight of objectification on my wild horse, little girl soul. I am not a doll, an object, or a tool. Any story in which I am cast as such feels like, well, like hell. It feels like suffocation. It feels like death. And any part of me that has the power to push up and gasp for air does so. Kicking, screaming, crying, calling, begging for rescue and worth. I grow angry now, but I was taught back then that anger was a sin, particularly in women. An angry woman was a woman who was not submitting to authority. An angry woman was a rebellious woman, a woman who was not honoring God. Because I loved and wanted to honor God in and above all things, I did not grow angry as a young person. I turned and let the waters of fundamentalist theology and dehumanized sexuality swallow up my identity and my soul. As they swirled over my head and crushed the breath from my chest, I simply closed my eyes and died. And she goes on to say a little later, 
When sexuality is only about sex instead of being part of our personhood, its voice is silenced. It can no longer whisper to us of our unique identity or call us to participate in something larger than self, in creation, relationship, mutuality, and the mystery of God. Sex becomes an idol, a burden, a vie for power, an addiction, a performance, and a right. It bears the fruit of death. No wonder so many Christian young people pray, asking God to take their sexuality away, the way I ask God to take away my life. So I, I think sometimes um, when we're having this discussion, we want to dismiss it. We want to just brush it off as one bad experience. But this is a story that's being repeated over and over and over again, especially as we're talking about Me Too and Church Too. It's not just assault that creates these kinds of things. It's our theology. And that theology damages us to the very core of our being. Um, several of my writers talk about this concept of like, you're told your whole teenagehood as a woman to not have sex. And then the moment you walk down the aisle and put a ring on it, you're supposed to have sex. And that doesn't work that way. Um, It's not just a switch you can flip. It's not just something that you can change. You know, let's, I'll go really low here. Let's say that you start this discussion at 12 and you get married at 20. So it's really hard to take eight years of training and indoctrination and being ashamed of your body and your selfhood and knowing that sex is evil and that you're not allowed to enjoy it and to just switch that, flip that switch and then be, um, you know, an expert at something you've never or been allowed. Or even happy. I mean, or even talk happy. about breeding sexual dysfunction. Yeah. Oh, that that's me. I'm raising my hand. Um, because I grew up in a Baptist school, so I really, I had, yes, a, like a biology or kind of like a sex education, but like not really. Yeah. Because, you know, who wants to talk about sex in a Baptist school setting, you know, with a Becca curriculum and everything like that, you know, and... And you really don't want to learn about that stuff during school because it's gross. <laughs> and then so and then you're like me who's, you know, raised and grown in the church. You go to youth group, you start going to college and you you're still living at home and then you get married and you move in with your husband, you know, and you have no idea what you know what to do. You know, yeah. you know, peg A goes and do whole A. Um, you know, but what do you do afterwards? You know, how do you function? And that's where I had the biggest like mental roadblock was like, I had no clue. But I think it's robbery that men are allowed to enjoy sex and women are not. Right. And that creates enormous dysfunction. Because the moment that a woman enjoys sex. Sinful. She's a slut or she's. The whole Madonna whore thing. Right. It's just like there is no in-between land where a woman can have a healthy appreciation of sex and a man, like men don't even right. talk Whereas about our it. culture doesn't even talk about now, I mean, how much, you know, because men do not have the same restraints that women do, how much they are um, you know, self-sabotaging themselves with potentially their promiscuous lifestyle habits. Right. I mean, I don't... It, it, it's, our, our secular culture somewhat 
um, I, I believe, praises that and re- reinforces that. What, who says that's healthy for men either? Right. right. So Yeah. It's a, it's a totally complicated issue. Um, and one that I think that the, the church has a responsibility to deal with in healthy ways, um, which is something that we aren't doing. Um, I mean, just it just it's almost funny that like we're sitting here talking about this and we're fine with that. And I don't know, I have rarely in my entire adult life had a conversation like this with Christian women. Um, why is that? Why are we not allowed to have this discussion about sex and what it is? Um, so I think that's complicated. And speaking about the purity of women, the Madonna whore concept that's prevalent in Western Christianity and how young women are raised to be pure and and virginal till their wedding day. And then at the same time, the culture um, also projects this um, pressure for, you know, part of being a good wife and being uh, a, a full woman is your sexiness and your confidence and um, our, you know, ability to be passionate partners. Right. Whereas if we're raised in an environment that we're not even allowed to... Uh, think about it you know, or explore it. Right. Then we, you know, if finally when you do enter into a sacred relationship, it only breeds sexual dysfunction in that not only, uh, I mean, you're terrified, uh, scared, n- not the least bit confident. And then even with some practice, it's like, am I allowed to enjoy this? Well, everything that's ever been told to me is no, yep. I'm not. Yep. And so then how does that, and because that's so ingrained in a female psyche, um, then that the other guilt trip is now I'm lacking as a um, passionate partner to my husband uh, because I, I don't enjoy it. I can't enjoy it the same way that he does. And right. so then the whole word's about being frigid or being stiff or just, you know, what do they call it? Like laying like a dead fish, you know, all of those um, adjectives come into play. Yeah. Where really, um, you know, it's, you're, you're left up to your own devices to navigate your way out of that and to find um, a happy, um, a happy center to have sexual confidence uh, sexual happiness with and, and abandon the guilt or abandon all the other labels and um, dogma that had been placed yeah. for that capacity. For sure. So I'm going to, everyone's going to laugh at this, but I'm reminded <laughs> of the comedian Jeff Dunham. He's the guy with the ventriloquist and it. it was either Walter or Ahmed. Um, and they talk about how when... Um, the Muslim terror, terrorists die, you know, they they go to heaven and 72 virgins, you know, greet them. So he goes, why is it 72 virgins? Why can't it be 72 women who actually know what they're doing? Exactly. Wow. You know, it's because, I mean, when I was, I was a virgin when I got married and, you know, I had no clue. I mean, like I said, I knew peg A went into slot A. Right. But I didn't know, like, how to move. So I was the the... The dead fish, the dead, right. you know, the bump on the log, like, you know, 
you know, three pumps and was it good for you? I mean, yeah, kind of deal. You're like, and so, how do I know what's good? What 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 is good supposed to be? Exactly. Right. And there's no mechanism. Like, there's no weighing mechanism. It just better it better make him happy. And I I think one of the places, and we don't really this isn't really discussed in the book as much, but where this becomes even more of a problem is with toxic masculinity and like these expectations that you know you that is your primary purpose is your primary purpose as a woman is to please him that's not true for anybody listening that still believes that um <laughs> that that's just not true that is a control mechanism and a way to um, disembody women from themselves and um, it's not okay and it's abusive so I think we have to be aware of these things and have the conversations if we're going to try to change the way that this discussion happens inside the church and I think this is a forum that does that and I think that one thing that brew theology embodies is um, a consciousness and as an outsider looking in, my observation is as a consciousness rising within the evangelical world and of that, you know, things have to change, not only for women, you know, but for gays. And, yep. I, and I think that there's fertile ground to be had um, for people to come into being and still have the embodiment of love Right. of religion of their of their faith and belief well and i think i think this the larger discussion about sex is that not only does this happen to women but people who are lgbtq um they have no connection to their embodiment or are told to deny that as well in the part of the country i grew up in there was a lot of um discouragement for people of different races to have relationships and have sex. And so like all of these things blend in together. It's not just one thing and it's not just one place. It is, it, it is a poison and a control mechanism um, that is oppressing many, many different people in our culture. And so I think we just have to start learning about that and be aware about that um, and then start having the conversation. So, so one of the things that came up in this was just, it was kind of the base question of how does your gender inform your faith? So um, do, do you guys have any thoughts about that that you want to share? I guess, yeah, I do. How does it not? And, and um, the one thing I would say, does has anybody ever asked a man that question? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. As, and men come to faith in a completely different capacity um, than women do. Because, just because, you know, we, we are who we are and the bodies we're born in. Right. So I would say, how does it not? One of my authors um, ref reflects on having children. Um, she didn't always expect to have children, but she had a son first. And he was baptized and got to wear the christening ground from her family. And um, she was really excited about that and that opportunity but then when her daughter was born, she talks about how conflicted that was because um, her daughter could never be the head of the church. So what does it mean to be baptized into a communion and not be able to ever be seen as a full person? And I thought that was such an astute observation that we see in so many places 
in so many traditions that well i'm and you're even seeing it in culture because right before i came over i'm binging the i'm binge watching the handmaid's tale uh-huh so with all that <laughs> you know misogyny and you know exactly you know it's it's not just you know just the religion it's i th- i think it's everywhere it's lots Poly- of things and i mean I think one of the things that it's important to know about that show is that uh margaret atwood made sure that anything that was in the original book and i believe they've continued this policy with season two of the show anything that happens in there has happened somewhere in the world so these this is not made up it is not um right. gratuitous yeah, this these are things that happen to women in our world or have happened. And I think that that I, I have many, many friends that have either not been able to continue watching it or I'm one of them or have been or have felt traumatized by witnessing it. What does that tell us? I think that's. Yeah, and I have a problem with that. Our entertainment system oh, sure, delivers absolutely. content of that nature. And I find myself I just I I. I don't want to engage in that. And, and, and maybe it's my little snowflake self. Um, but I just, I don't want to uh, engage in entertainment that, that uh, I don't know, promotes exploitation. Right. Like that. I mean, I, I can't say I'm a purist. I'm guilty of some things, but there's something. I mean, I think the older we get, we have to make our, our choices. Right. Well, um, but also, I mean, wouldn't it be, it is it, if you don't learn from your history, you're doomed to repeat it as well. So, I mean, okay, I'll give it that. I mean, that that's probably the content of a college women's studies course. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, well, no, and I think that that television show may be. Right. And I so. think, I think like where we could talk on your point is just like for instance game of thrones oh um, my i've God. watched several seasons and um i just both my husband and i got to the point where we're just like i can't do this anymore well, there's just right there's too many lines here that are being crossed and there's too much of a promotion of behaviors that i don't want to see continued now i've had discussions with people that i respect that are like no people know this is fiction they know this isn't real but it's still promoting brutality i I had a very hard time with that show yeah so i think i think that's and that's another like avenue of where does this discussion lead us like what about entertainment and what about the images that women see about who they should be whether i mean so you're a virgin, you've been a virgin since your your whole life, you get married at 20 and now you're supposed to be um, able to perform like one of the whores on Game of Thrones? Exactly. Plus, oh, plus <laughs> look like June Cleaver, you know, with the heels and the pearls and... Right. And you can throw up a dinner party home, in 15 minutes with no sweat. And right. you're vacuuming with your dress and heels on, you know, husband comes home, you know, dinner's ready. Yeah. Clean house. I think it's a lot of confusing messages. And so I think one of the things that I, I feel I hope is helpful about this project is these are real stories. These are these are people that are sharing the, their experience of this and trying to get us to engage with what does this mean in the way that we experience faith and move in the world. And and hopefully that then starts addressing some of these other things. I think it's particularly a breakthrough in the evangelical community. Yeah. And I think a lot of the audience and the participants 
are deconstructing and or reacting and or mourning um, um, their experience in that community. And I think with these voices coming out, like I said earlier, I think there's tremendous fertile ground to be had yeah. for mind shaping, shaping and slowly shifting. Yeah. Because Martin Luther King, I mean, he was out there uh, talking, talking up all this great courageous stuff. It didn't happen overnight. Right. And these institutions have been in place for so long and they're so indoctrinated and they have so much political power um, that they're not going to be willing to give that up. Right. So I could see it morphing and, and it might look something different. So women theologians may find a voice and a completely different avenue. Maybe there's a new avenue that gets created that yeah. um, presents opportunities to raise these voices, uh, raise the mindset right. and that attracts people of like mindset that are more, it doesn't have to be man mindset or woman mindset. It's human mindset. Right. But we had several discussions of how our changing view of God um, and kind of putting a, um, a female face on God sometimes changes the way that we've experienced that. And one of our um, authors did that in a way that was uh, pretty amazing in talking about communion. Hey, while we're waiting for Janelle, here's a quick plug and an advertisement right. for uh, the theology extravaganza coming up in November. Be there, be square. That sounds amazing. I think we'd totally be there. We love process. And what was the other one? Alternative theology? Process open and relational. Open relational. Yep. Is that like what um, Tink talked about? Um, Native American? No. I mean, there is some relation to it about uh, opening our worldview having a different non-western worldview that's what he talked about and seeing how god moves more freely in the world um so that sounds amazing it it should be really awesome and we're gonna have a great set of uh expressions definitely be there i'm gonna put it on the calendar do we have to buy tickets no just reply on meetup okay so Just let us know. And if you're from out of town and you'll be here for AAR, you can join Brew Theology at this event. Uh, we'll be meeting downtown, so it won't be far from where you're staying for the conference. Well, so one of the things that came out of this were some expressions of kind of female expressions of faith and God and how that changes things. So I want to share this excerpt from my friend Libby. If you're in Casper, Wyoming and looking for a church, um, please check out the table Libby is the pastor there and is doing um, amazing work in your community, and I just would encourage you to, to reach out to her. And before I start to read, I want to share with you that this is about birth and um, having a baby. So if you have struggled with um, getting pregnant or having a baby, just be aware that that's what's coming next, and we're going to talk intimately about that process. So this was an excerpt from hers. My womb was hostess to the conception of human life. I was a necessary co-creator, a human being. My body nourished, provided for, and grew an extra organ, the wonder-working placenta, which vitally contributed to the oxygenation and unfolding life of another person. My organs and bones physically expanded to hold literal and precious space for the development of a brand new life. I felt her flutter when she was but a whisper of a human form. 
I knew her hiccups in the sweet little rhythmic pulse. I heard her heartbeat when she was mere weeks in gestation. I saw and felt the jab of her feet kick at my ribs and her little body do somersaults throughout my belly. Then in the fullness of time, the beautiful life-giving amniotic waters broke so that the little amphibian-like human could traverse the final canal between heaven and earth to breathe air for the first time. My miraculous body laboriously delivered that person onto the earth from the secret safety of my watered womb. Now, from its beautiful and ample abundance, my body feeds that small person with its own milk. This motherhood thing is nothing short of phenomenal. God's Eucharistic provision for humanity is realer than it has ever been. This is my literal body given for you. This is my womb holding space for and expanding to include you. This is my placenta grown and birthed and broken down for you. These are the waters of my womb broken and spilled out for you. This is my blood poured out for your new and expanding life on earth. This is my milk continually produced and given for you. Every time I bring my child to my breast to suckle for her sustenance, well-being, and comfort, I marvel at God's wondrous creation. That was my favorite one the whole night, the other night. <laughs> okay. I think that is tremendous. And the parallels are perfect. They are. I've never read anything or heard anything like this in all my studies. And I'm not a mom. And Neither am I. And I've never I'm not ex- of my own birth. And I've never experienced this. And I feel like... This makes space for us to enter into that experience as well in, in an amazing way. And so why is that threatening? Why is that um, make people uncomfortable? I, I don't know. I, I think it's know. beautiful. It's, it, it's women bodily functions. Right. It's the, the breastfeeding and the... The blood and the, the amniotic fluid, fluid and, and the... the the vagina. Yeah. I mean, like these are, if you think it's very poetic, it's very poetic. And these are, these aren't swear words. This is life. This is life coming into the planet. And, uh, it confuses me a little that, I think it speaks to women empowerment. Um, To me, this is a very empowering message as well. For sure. Um, and I think that we're taught in our society to, hush hush our powers and just secretly yeah i mean yeah it's okay to be powerful but do it like secretly and not show casey right um uh, but giving birth that's a quiet thing for sure right uh, right yeah. yeah right so yeah i think that we need to think about like what does it look like to have god represented in that way um the other one that i think also speaks to this is Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I have Elisa's. I think that's okay. the one you're looking for. Um, so I have to preface this with um, she views God as female. Um, so God is a mother is caring, peaceful, and loving. I see God as a mother in a dimly lit kitchen, baking bread over a fire hearth. It smells of yeasty bread and burning wood, and she is there, lovingly tending the hearth. She offers me a glass of deep red wine and a hunk of fresh crusty bread, ensuing that I eat my fill and am satisfied. Somehow the communion elements in the setting mean more than the brightly lit auditorium or even the sanctuary of a church. She cares for my physical needs as well as my spiritual needs. I see God as a mother in a lush forest that smells earthy and moist like the woods of the Pacific Northwest. 
Taking a deep breath there fills my lungs with vendant air and my heart with peace. The sun is dappled on the forest floor. The birds are singing and the wind is whistling softly through the trees. When a storm rolls through and the trees begin to creak and sway and the raindrops melt my face, I am not afraid. I know that Mother God will guide and protect me. I look ahead and see her face. I am not afraid. I look ahead and see her hand reaching back toward me. I take it and let her lead me into the unknown and back home. She loves and gives grace, no matter how far I traveled from her. The overwhelming feeling I have is that she is safe. There is nothing I could do to travel outside of her grace. This is like a mother hen gathering her chicks under her wings. Yeah. That's another good one. I guess my question is, is that why is this so scandalous? Because it is. This is enormously scandalous to think that there might be feminine energy in a God power or God power. Because God is um, inherently, intrinsically, uh, you know, even publicly, you know, male. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being male. But what is so threatening? What, What is wrong? What is subversive scandalous that god might actually have female energy yeah what i I, that has i i think that's it is that god can have female i believe god does have female energy that's why i thank my i thank my mother god bless her in heaven now she literally saved me with her feminist awakening when i was young leaving the catholic church and it's like it's nobody's ever come back to say otherwise and if you think about you know feminine feminine energy is loving and nurturing and forgiving and bonding and bridge building right and you know and the western society male energy attributes that are supported and promoted are competition are um charisma as like a character trait almost power Right. Success, bigness. Right. And you know what? And that's a disservice to men. Absolutely. Because yeah. men are not that. Yeah. Actually, Elise goes and on. And women are, are that too. Yep. I Elise mean. <laughs> goes on in hers to talk about like, what would it mean to have a sensitive, loving, caring, masculine and a, and a powerful, um, encouraging compassionate feminine like what does it mean if we start letting everybody have those attributes instead of making us be um caged into one side or the other i think everybody does i do in our own subtle ways they play out um not even subtle i mean some they're sometimes they're more overt but But the expectations can be really detrimental to letting people express them that way yes um in certain circles yes yeah, I think, I mean, and we, we see this echoed too in the shack. I mean, that, I remember that being one of the big things that was a quote unquote problem with the shack was seeing God as female. Um, that was a huge, huge like issue when that book came out. And so I don't know what it is. I don't know why that's so scary. I think God is neither. Right. Yeah. I think God is both and God is neither. And these are man-made constructs. Constructs. Right. I'm there sorry. are descriptions, and they're cultural, and they're sociological, and 
So it's, it's important for us to remember that and keep that in mind. So deep. what happens is that because of the constraints that our society and our culture live in and we grow up in and people are raised to march to a certain path, whether you're a man or a woman. Right. Um, those are limiting factors. Right. And it's up to us as individuals to, um, you know, take bolt cutters to those chains and not only release us, but release others. Yeah. And we, and we can do that by even people that we previously judge as being this and so that we stop doing that. Right. So even when we are um, feeling the oppression, the being ignored, the not being heard, the being discounted, we have to find another way to, or another avenue to um, let our talents and our gifts come through. Yeah. And I think it's a huge challenge in the evangelical community right now for people that are falling out from it. Yeah, I think for a lot of people... That means you need to leave. Not not everyone, though. And I make clear to say that in the introduction to the book. There are many women who, especially in leadership, are able to stay. And they're able to do the work. And I am so proud of them for being able to do that. But not all of us can. And that's not that we're weak or at fault. It just means we're different. And we have different ways of doing this work, of changing things, and of mm-hmm. um, confronting the kinds of biases and discrimination that we face. And you- sometimes progress is, even when you're in, I don't want to say the battleground, oh, when you're in a field, this reminds me of one of the, it was the woman from, um, what is it, the Interfaith Alliance? Uh-huh. And she came and spoke to our group that one night, and she was talking about the whole us and them scenario. And she's like, well, sometimes, you you know, they will never be us and we will never be them, but we have to find the smallest part of common ground. And maybe that's what those people are doing in the evangelical church. It's like, we're going to get a millimeter here, a millimeter of understanding and agreement. And then slowly over time, they're like, oh, okay, we have a millimeter agreement. Okay, and then another time period, we have another millimeter of agreement. And ever so slowly, there'll be an evolution. There's going to be that. There's also going to be just the hardcore breakaways. Right. Yep. Well, any last thoughts or ideas on um, this topic of what you heard on Thursday or things that have stuck with you that you want to share? I'm just, these women just in their stories just blow my mind. Like, uh, they're just, their words are so powerful that like, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of them and it just, I mean, it just baffles me and pretty powerful stuff. And let me just say out of clarity and respect for all the voices in the book, not everybody in the book would agree with some of the things we've said tonight. These are our opinions. These are my opinions. Um, but I have made sure to let all the views that are represented in the book be there. Because I think it's important to recognize that and to recognize that we're in different places and different spaces, and that's okay. So, just as you're listening, remember that. Um, that God loves you just the way you are. That's right. Wherever you are and whatever way you serve, um, for sure. And I think God trusts your inner wisdom, even though the social political context of the church may not. Yeah. Um, and other, you know, greater... Greater audiences in the world do. So, you know, yeah, they're very rich. And I appreciate Janelle sharing them with us. Thank you. Um, and I just encourage 
uh, to, you know, go on and go forward. Yeah. And as you, uh, the book will be out in October. As you read these stories, if you have any questions, please email me or reach out. Um, and also there will be a study guide eventually on the website. So you can keep that, keep looking for that at womenxfaith.com. Um, so thank you for joining us and we'll keep you posted on the pub date and all of that in future episodes. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thank you. Well, there you have it. That was episode 98 of the Brew Theology Podcast. And if anybody was wondering, not that it was that important, why did Ryan stop talking midway through and others were like, oh, he was letting the women speak. Good for him. Actually, we were sitting outside and I got a text from my wife saying that one of our children may have lice. So, of course, I I went inside and she did have lice. And the other kid also took her out of bed. She had lice. So my wife ran to the store. I sat there with my, my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter, and we went through all the treatment and whatnot. Did a whole lot of laundry for about 24 plus hours. And uh, Janelle, Christina, and uh, Kelly, they, they took care of the rest of the podcast. So thanks for listening. I appreciate all of uh, the listeners that we have. And just want to let you know that if you support us, we appreciate that. And I, I, I don't like talking a lot about donations and giving and all that because I, I think I worked in the church world for so long that that became weird for me. And also since I grew up in the church, it kind of felt guilt driven at times. But I do want to say that, you know, uh, we do what we do because of your support. And so if you do want to support Brew Theology for as little as $1 a month or $5 a month, you can just go to the Brew Theology website, website under donate. And we have a Patreon page or we have a one time donation as well where you can click on that link and support us. So thanks again for all your love and go to iTunes. Please rate it, review it and share this online on all of our social media handles and we would appreciate that too. Thanks so much guys. Peace.